Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Folks, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Making Data Simple. As always, I'm going to have a little bit of fun today. Well, I, I never not have fun, but I'm going to have fun today. You know, I never like to uh, wish my days away because the time is absolutely flying. I am ready for 2022. Uh, I was looking back as I have IL on. I'm going to introduce IL in just a moment. And I went back to see when he was on last. And I thought, how long have we been doing this podcast? And I looked back and it'll be... I think five years, the middle of this year. I can't believe that actually. I'm, I'm actually pretty proud of myself that five, we've done this every week for like five years. Yeah, a, bit, a couple of repeats, but for the most part, straight up. So I uh, appreciate you guys all listening. And uh, yeah, look, if there's anything we can change up, please hit us. That's why I always tell you, reach out to us. We do listen and hit us on almartintalksdata at gmail.com. We'll take a look and Anything you want to hear, anything you think we should change it up, you know, we're always looking for new and innovative ways to, to do a podcast in form and have some fun. So when we started this and we continue, the title is Making Data Simple, data being the center of the universe. And I, I still continue to say that that's the case. So we've not changed that, but we do look at trending technologies, business innovation and leadership. And the great news is the guest I have today hits all those categories. This is the gentleman that educated me on what value is in terms of what, what clients want value, and they th think in terms of four things, cost savings, revenue generation, risk, or market expansion. See, I remember this stuff, I.L. You teach oh me. Oh, my God, you're really I great, listen. Al. <laughs> you're on a roll already. It's fantastic. <laughs> but, well, I, I want to see if those are, are still accurate as we go through this. Without further ado, welcome to the one and only I.L. Steinberg. He almost has the perfect name, the perfect name, obviously, being Al. His parents went with I-L. They, they added a yeah in there, I-L. But it's very close. It's very close. I'll, I'll give him that. So welcome, my friend. How you been? I'm doing really great. Thank you. And, you know, this is a welcome back. You were uh, kind enough to actually have me on first. And uh, it was a great session. I actually selfishly used that as a little bit of a homage to, to really call out a lot of people who, who helped me. I think... I reached out and I said, hey, I'd love to come back. And, you know, it was uh, uh, really gracious of you to have me back. And I'm really looking forward to this session. Uh, I think I told you last night, I actually had a really interesting dream where I was getting ready to be on Saturday Night Live and spending time with Lauren and like, getting ready <laughs> anticipation for this ad hoc session. So, Al, you are a master and yeah, I appreciate you having me back. Well, I wish I was getting paid like Lauren and the, the, the folks on Saturday Night Live. That would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they have, uh, what did you say, over five years of this podcast on a weekly basis. <laughs> I think even they take some breaks. So they uh, they could definitely learn from you a few things. So you've been living the dream then? Things going well? Family healthy? You know what? I, I've been blessed. Thank you. Yeah, everybody's been great. It's been a roller coaster of ups and downs. You know, with the uh, disruption that definitely happened, there's been a lot of kind of hidden blessings. Like the, the time I got to spend uh, with my kids and my family in the last two years has been uh, something I can't replace and I think it's been really valuable and luckily we've been all great you know uh, health has been uh, for the most part really great I'm psyched I you know I, I rejoined IBM about two years ago I'm what they call a boomerang so I I was on with Natiz acquisition where where yeah. you and I uh, first met each other and I thought it'd be good to experience some other things and I had some really good experiences and I came back now to IBM over two years 
Uh, and I'm really blessed. I feel really, really grateful for the last few years and kind of what opportunity has presented itself and really excited about 2022. You're a little bit of a germaphobe though, aren't you? Maybe? You know, I married into a germaphobe to be candid and she's going to listen to this and she's going to get mad at me for saying that. And, uh, <laughs> That's so what she we improves do. me. I, as I like to say, she, she improves me and makes me better. I think we tend to be on the more conservative side uh, to make sure that we're kind of keeping everything uh, locked down. But yeah, you know, I think it's measured like anything else. Nothing wrong with it. The only thing is, is there is such a thing as um, pandemic fatigue. I mean, I just can't take it anymore. I mean, it's like I used to get up and I'm probably like you. I don't know how many hundred thousands of miles I was putting on planes. When we went into the pandemic, I'm thinking this is great. And it, it has been great. You're right. I've, I've got to spend time with the family, with the wife. Of course, a lot of my, my kids are now at school. And my wife is like, get out <laughs> at this point in time. You know, I think she needs to, because, you know, I don't know. Uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder, I think, sometimes. Yeah, she, anyway, reminds, she reminds me that often. I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. <laughs> I go from my bedroom to my basement. I got a nice office down here. But, man, I tell you what, there is fan- pandemic fatigue. Do you remember the last time you were on? You know what the date was? Oh, goodness, I don't. I, I would think it's probably been 18 months or so. I don't know if you have That's the date, but it's good. Nicely yeah. done. That was, I looked at it actually the way I had it and it may be wrong here, but it was when, when I put it down in my notes, it was May 13th, 2020. And then I was thinking, you know, when I took the job of expert labs, it was in March or, or like end of February. And that was on the cusp of the pandemic. We didn't know. And then all of a sudden we go straight into it. Everybody's working from home. Did you have any idea it was going to be two years? We'd be here right now. I don't think anybody had any idea. You know, IBM has so many resources, and one of the uh, people they have is this uh, fantastic medical doctor who was on the staff and really specialized in pandemics. Which think about that, like you know, she probably went twenty years of being a specialist of pandemic and never really having to use it, and all of a sudden get thrown into it. And I remember it being March, March thirteenth, right? Friday, March thirteenth was when uh, some of the NBA players started to, to get in. The world started changing and school started to get canceled. And I think her prediction at the time was like, we're going to be definitely locked in until Labor Day. And everybody was thinking, goodness gracious, like, you know, this is a two-week thing. Uh, and then Labor Day felt like forever. And then I think when we started getting into it, if anybody really knew how long it would be, I think it would have a very different psychological impact. I don't think anybody can anticipated it. This overall theory of this idea of a collapse that every 80 years, civilization goes through some major shift. And if you look back in history, like World War II was about 80 years ago. And before then, there was another crisis, another crisis. And in a way, it's like, you know, this is the crisis of our generation that's resetting, you know, the younger kids. How are they going to interact? Like, how do people look at their view in society? I don't think anybody anticipated it. I still think that the impact of this and what's going to actually happen to how we come out of this, which hopefully is right around the corner, uh, is going to be profound and hopefully, you know, make a better overall civilization and society and culture. And that we take out of this some lessons that there's a lot of things we just don't know. Right. And I think that's part of the the mystery and the beauty of being part of this bigger team. Do you think we're going to be out of it soon? What's your thoughts? on? That? I do think so. Like I'm not smart enough to be able to have my own opinion. So I do the reading of the people that I trust. And I do think that there's something about, a uh, natural immunity and kind of something Omicron being uh, more spreading faster, but, or being more mild. Uh, I do think that these are all things that are going to get us out of this sooner. I also think that, you know, the thank goodness for the medical community and coming up with these great, you know, vaccines. And I know not everybody 
is on the same position I am on it. But, you know, I, I do feel like these are all things that we could do to get out of this quicker. And I think everybody ultimately wants the same thing, right? Everybody wants health for everybody and let's return to what life was like. And, you know, I'm, I'm very well, optimistic. I do think, again, I, I like you, I, I, I listen to the experts. I'm no expert here, but I do think it's like an endemic, meaning it's going to be here and it's way, it's how we deal with it. Uh, as we move, kind of like the flu, right? Every year you, you, the, the flu strain comes in and, and we got to figure out what we're going to do. I'm no, no expert, but I got to believe that that's kind of what we're up against as we go forward. But I agree. And, you know, for me, it's the biggest unknown is the unknown. So I would love to go to Tokyo, for example, but I'm terrified of going over to Tokyo and then getting hit with a two week quarantine period <laughs> on both sides and being gone for four weeks in a hotel. So I think it's that uncertainty of exactly. like when things stabilize and we have an idea of what the risk is and measured risk. And we could start making good decisions about how we manage our lives. I think that's going to be when things change and we could start returning back to uh, life as usual or the new normal. So let's move on experience. Give us a little bit of background in your experience. I know we had you on before shame on the people that didn't hear you then, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're going to go back now, but go yeah. ahead and give us a little intro to Mr. I.L. So, Al, I have to just call out, um, uh -oh. there is probably a population of your listeners that are other sellers. And I got to tell you, from doing that podcast, at least once a month, I get a really well-crafted email from an inside salesperson who's trying to earn our business, trying to sell to us, and I would be the buyer. And I always really get, uh, I always take a call. There's a little hint for anybody who's listening to this one. There are people who make references to things that I talk about on your podcast and only on your podcast from when I was like 16 years old. And they craft these fantastic emails about like connecting ABC DJs, which was a DJ company back in the mid 90s to what I'm doing now. And, you know, a lot of shout outs to all those people who are trying to figure out a way in. So uh, I won't go to that level of detail, but generally I was a music guy. I started music, my first love, never being able to make it, but always in the business of music. I shifted to retail where I learned about data and analytics. And this was uh, probably in the late 90s where companies were just investing in data warehouse systems like Teradata and analytics systems. And I joined a small startup in Cambridge 20 years ago, actually. Like our big breakthrough was a Sunday event at a retail forum called NRF, which is exactly 20 years uh, from this Sunday. Uh, where uh, we were expecting like 30 people and the fire marshal had to come because we had so many people with standing room only. And I remember that startup ended up technical salesperson, kind of people call it pre-sales. That company got bought by Oracle, switched over to sales and probably for the last 20 years or so been in various sales roles from individual contributing to probably about 15 of those 20 years in sales management. You know, in big companies, small companies culminating in this opportunity, which I'm so fortunate to have which is running the data, AI, and automation uh, business at IBM, you know, roughly a 10 plus billion dollar overall business and close to uh, 3,000 or so sellers around the globe. Uh, so really fortunate, really, I couldn't have got here if I wasn't on the shoulder of some really giants, but I don't forget every single day how fortunate I am and the responsibility I have. Well, you are the man with the portfolio you have. I mean, it's huge. Let's talk a little bit about that. When you, we had you on last time, it was data and AI. Now it's data, AI, AI apps, automation, the whole gamut. Can you talk about that pivot and what that's meant? Uh, right now it's data, AI, and automation. AI apps, uh, important brand, but not part of my uh, responsibility. Oh. It's kind of separate. 
But even data and AI and automation by themselves are probably would be the two largest brands on software. Together, we're this 800-pound gorilla, which I think gives us a lot of ability to do things for our clients and customers and innovate much faster. So it's been great. What I would say is that we have some really, really smart people at IBM. And one of the things that I saw recently was how customers tend to enter into IBM. So most customers don't think about buying everything. They usually have a very discrete problem, kind of out like you were talking about the four value drivers before. And they say, hey, the, you know, the pain of not changing is now greater than the pain of changing. Therefore, I should make an investment. And they usually come in with one discrete product capability or something that they need to solve. They evaluate the market and they make a selection of IBM. But typically that customer enters into IBM through one product without the idea that one day they might become one of you know, IBM's most cherished and important customers spending hundreds of millions of dollars or even billions of dollars with IBM. They typically enter in through data and AI and automation. Those are two. Security is the third, maybe AI apps. But what's really interesting is the large volume of customers, their first two brands, when they go from one brand to the next, is they go from data and AI or automation to data and AI and automation. So what we find is that there's a lot of synergy together. And by connecting both automation and data and AI, though it's very different product sets and different customers, it gives us the ability to give the customers a better experience because we're bringing those people who they're talking to under one management chain so they don't have to repeat themselves. And there's more customer intimacy, people working together. And it's really been, it's about a year since we've done it. Uh, and it's been really successful and something that we're going to continue to refine for 2022. Fantastic. And, and dissecting that a little bit, the four value drivers I mentioned, those still the four value drivers, anything change there? I think they're going to be the same four value drivers forever. I think they're a little bit of iconic kind of sales goals. And, you know, probably the order of magnitude of the four is probably going to change based on the macro environment. Like I'll give you a good example, right? You said increase revenue is one, reduce costs is two, three is mitigate risk and four is to increase reach. Today, because of inflation and just the labor shortage, like labor costs and rates and, and how difficult it is and expensive it is to secure a growing workforce has shifted a lot of companies thinking about how do I automate a lot of that labor work, either digital twin or just business automation. So that's a real trend right now. So if you want to be relevant to a lot of companies in the beginning, first half of 2022, talking about reduced costs, reducing risk of your best people walking out the door, like that's a much more topical conversation than maybe growing revenue just at this point right now. So I think those four things are pretty good about capturing the broad spectrum. Maybe there'll be a fifth as we kind of continue to innovate. But I do think that the, the waterline of what's important amongst those four is going to change. But those four are pretty grounded and uh, here to stay. So today you would say, hey, uh, front and center, they're all, I, I presume, being exercised at some point or another, but front and center right now is reduced cost and mitigating risk in automation to help some of that, that optimization to help to accomplish both those goals. Correct? Yeah, I, I think for sure. And, you know, I think even I don't want to minimize increasing reach because I think that was probably where we were for the last 12 months. I think a lot of companies because of work from home and kind of the this digitalization and virtualization of customers and workforce, the idea of how do you access or contact customers differently than you or people differently than you did in the past was really increasing reach, right? Either tapping into a new customer base or companies like Peloton, right? Who really exploded 
because all of a sudden people couldn't go to the gym anymore and they still wanted to work out area and like how do you increase reach to the people that you couldn't have gone to before so i think it does fluctuate at this immediate time i think cost and reducing risk is probably the top two part of my question is do you expect kind of as the pandemic lifts that we're going to quickly hit market expansion and that reducing costs is going to be pushed to uh you know grow 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 no, you know, I, I mentioned before around this concept of the collapse in the 80-year cycle. And the beautiful thing that's really exciting is at the end of every one of those collapses, there's this major emergence in growth, right? If it's, you know, the, the great boom of the, that happened after World War II and, you know, the equivalent of pretty much any other collapse, people are just so kind of pent up that they want to go out, they want to spend, they want to grow, they want to work hard, they want to have better lives for their families. I do think that that's coming. And I do think when that comes that people are going to shift from being bottom line focused to being top line focused. And it's going to become a period of spend. And, you know, how do I kind of take market share from my competitors? You know, how do I uh, invest into f- total growth? Uh, just because I think we are going to see a boom as we emerge from uh, from the last. Uh, Does it matter years. to you which one is one of the drivers are out in front? Is one I, more fun than the other? Is the it's market- a lot more fun selling to top line revenue. It's a lot more fun. <laughs> like reduced costs in a way is the least fun, right? Because, it, you know, it's some way you're saying I could save you this in labor costs, which really translates to less people, which is not fun, right? Nobody wants to talk about it. But if you're growing revenue, people are hiring, they're taking chances, they're opening stores, they're opening locations, like everybody's in a better mood. Uh, so top line revenue growth is by far the best period of time. Well, I mean, the interesting thing is we talk about reduced costs. We got a labor shortage unlike any other right now. So I don't, it, it's kind of a weird situation we find ourselves in. You know what I mean? And if you take a, a like a human capital intensive business and inflation and everybody's saying, hey, my, my mortgage payment or my rent payment and my food payment is going up, my gasoline is going up. And then every employee is saying, well, can you help me by increasing my compensation in my check, right? Like how much I'm actually taking home. And I think that pressure for a lot of companies, if 50% of your cost is a human cost of expense, and that's going up by 10%, you know, there's a real significant pressure on companies, not even for hiring, but just maintaining where you were in the past, just because of an inflationary environment. So a lot of companies are trying to figure out, how do I do more with less? And, you know, I think that's a, a sales opportunity, right? And I think that's what's really great about the automation portfolio at IBM is we have fantastic products that do this. And I think when you see the results that come out. Um, but, you know, I think our, our strength of our automation business is largely being driven by that macro trend. Let me pick on something you said, just to make sure I understand it. You were talking about usually clients start with one product and go from there. At least that's the way I understand it. But we're kind of in the platform business. The world is in the platform business, I guess. How does that tie into what you said in terms of one product? This is the trickiest part. And I'm going to use an analogy that some people either like or not like. Uh, I'm a Howard Stern fan, so I'm going to use a Howard Stern serious analogy. <laughs> and I don't know where you sit, Al, on that. If that's no, that just analogy. makes me laugh just right there. But that's, that's great. No, I've listened to Howard Stern. All good. Keep going. All right. So <laughs> if you think of satellite radio or Sirius XM, when, so it, a shift away from kind of what you paid no money for, right? Like you always had radio in your car or your home and you didn't pay anything for it. Then here comes satellite and Sirius. And it's now a paid service. That's a platform. Oh, you know, a couple hundred channels. I don't know how many there are, but there's quite a bit. Five comedy channels. It's a platform. But you needed an angle. You needed an anchor to get people, a wedge to get people into the platform. And that's where Howard Stern really was amazing. And they paid him a boatload of money 
but the whole strategy was that there has to be a reason why people embrace the platform. And I think it's very similar for the software side. We have a fantastic platform of products built on OpenShift, which you know is part of uh, IBM's broader uh, strategy with the acquisition of Red Hat. That's a hybrid cloud and it does some great things, but then you don't buy the platform, you buy the business solution. So I am a company that has to deal with an influx of customers who are now calling me and I need a virtual assistant. So I'll start with that business problem and then that will might bring me to something deeper. Or I'm dealing with a labor shortage like digital twins. I need a business automation system or my applications keep going down and I start need a way to kind of observe it better and to have more better uptime. There's all these decision points that enter, but you don't start by buying Sirius. You start because you really like Howard. And when you buy Howard, and you start and now paying the $20 a month for the service, if that's what it is, all of a sudden you'll go to channel 97 and you'll start listening to the comedy channel. And you won't probably do, you wouldn't pay the $20 for that comedy channel, but since you're already in, there's the power defaults. So you say, hey, I'm already paying the money for this. Might as well check it out and start using it. And that's really the bridge between kind of the entry point and then being able to leverage the broader platform. So get in with Howard and then you listen to 50s on five after FDF. That's right. You, and you realize you never even knew you love 50s on five until you started listening to it. And that's the go-to default station on your radio. Very good. Let me go back to another thing you said on the differentiated technology that IBM brings around data, AI, and automation. I'm sure you're going to look at a technology or technical decision point and then go from there. But overall, what's your pitch? I mean, pick something and, you know, how would you sell? What's your differentiator? I mean, why IBM? Why these technologies? So I left IBM and I went to two startups because I really believed in the business problem that we're having. And this is more on the data side, right? Given that this is a data uh, podcast, I'll kind of put the automation to the side and talk about the data side. Companies have spent the last like 20 years building these data environments. And the last thing they want to do, they don't want to move the data, right? It's like the biggest sin in data management is let the data reside where it is. If you start creating copies, you lose security, get super expensive, there's just complexity that happens. The problem is you got the data consumer who now wants to access all the data. They don't care where it is. They just wanna know what's available, where is it available? Like, is it secure and governed? Is it a gold standard that I can actually bring it up to executive management? That's the fundamental issue. What IBM has that no other software company on this planet has is that it has every single component of the stack, what we call the AI ladder. How you collect the data, how you organize the data, how you analyze the data, and how you infuse the data. And I could happy to go into more. The thing that makes it different is that there's other companies that do one sliver of it, but just like Microsoft Office, as an example, in the consumer world, the only way that you can make PowerPoint work with an Excel or Excel sheet within a PowerPoint is you have to be the software provider for all the parts. And what IBM brings that nobody else can do is that it's not just about data management, it's about governance of that data, it's about applying AI at all the processes. And IBM has this really rich uh, history of having these franchise products like DB2 and Cognos and DataStage and on and on Watson and on and on and on. So what IBM is now doing is it's modernizing that base. It's bringing almost like a greatest hit CD. It's taking a little bit of each individual part, putting it together, but solving the problem as the entire problem. And there's no other company that's doing it. They need a data fabric and they need a way to kind of make it simple and governed. And that's 
what IBM does that nobody else does. And I think uh, this journey is going to be really, really rich for IBM. It's going to be great for our customers, completely differentiated and something hopefully Al, you can hear in my voice. I'm really excited about. Yeah, no, I can see your passion. I mean, that's why you're here. I'm with you 100% on everything you said, particularly in the moving and the pain in moving data. If you can avoid moving data, I mean, you should. However, I see customers moving data. Why are they doing that when they don't have to? There's very few who are actually moving the real legacy data. Like even if you go and you do a Google search on like database popularity and there's some DB insights and some other tools that will show it. If you look at like the large kind of transactional databases that have been around for a while, like the DB2s and the Oracles and SQL servers, you can see that the lines don't actually drop like massively decline, even over an extended period of time. There might be a small kind of erosion of some of these other database environments. Think that what's really happening is there's very few companies who are shifting everything. What's emerged now is that just like you wouldn't buy only a race car or a pickup truck, and you wouldn't use a race car to move, you know, a lot of stuff if you go to Home Depot, for example, that this whole space has matured to the point where different technology is going to be required for different things. So customers who have data, for example, on the mainframe, the IBM mainframe, and it's doing a great job. Our mainframe business is growing like crazy, which is great to see. And we're even adding new mainframe customers, which is also great to see that those customers are not moving their data. They tend to leave the legacy data where it is, but maybe for a new workload that has to do with something like unstructured data or other, or if there's uh, a new business group, they might use that for a cloud data warehouse. So it's okay. Like I, I don't think that the competition here uh, for IBM is uh, Snowflake or Mongo. In fact, our what we call our OEM business is how our relationship reselling or embedding or having like a Mongo OEM offering. Uh, and there's many others, right? Cloudera, Enterprise DB, uh, and on and on, Box. That's a really strong part of our business. Why? Because customers realize that it's not just about one solution. And what IBM brings is this data fabric or like being the Switzerland, where you don't have to decide, pick one and be all in on it. Let us be that abstraction that you can let the data reside where it is and don't move it. Because if you're really just moving it, you're getting a lot of cost and significant risk without a massive shift. Like you're not getting anything new from a data science or capability side. So why take on the risk and the cost if you're not really getting a different business outcome? I think what's interesting in what you said, and I don't know if everybody realizes this, but I'll just restate it again, is what I heard you say is, I think a lot of people look at, like you mentioned Snowflake, we'll stay on that thing for now, but it could be others. They look at it as that as a competitor could and is actually an OI engine. Exactly, Al. Like when I hear customers say that they have Snowflake, I say, great, that's amazing. That's the beginning of the conversation, not the end. And it's the same thing for any of these data warehouses or data storage systems. Like the world has shifted that there's not one single answer. And the more answers that companies have, and we hear it all the time, I got SAP, I got Snowflake. Like then they start saying, well, how do I bring it together? How do I maintain that the information that my business comes to a meeting, if they have different sources, how do I make sure that it's governed, secure, and consistent? Al, I totally agree. These are not competitive offerings. We have a fantastic offering in Natiza, right? Something close to both of our hearts. We just released Natiza on Azure. These are things that are continuing to involve. The game doesn't have to be a zero sum where it's competitive in all directions. I think there's room for all of us. And I do think that, you know, the reality is, is that as people have more and more of these choices and solutions, 
it, the complexity in the governance becomes the key. And that's really where I think we shine. Is Switzerland, as you call it, is that hard or an easy sell? And the reason I ask that is, I mean, you could make a case that Switzerland, oh, lack of a point of view. Or it's easy to sell because of everything you mentioned in terms of, look, we can use your data. You can leave your data where it is. You can modernize now because we can add governance, you know, with Snowflake or otherwise. Is it a hard or easy sell? I think it's a skeptical sell. I think there's not a large company that... So if you're a small company and you could deal with having all of your data in one place, the simplicity and the ease of management of moving to a cloud data warehouse makes a lot of sense. And if you really look at the S1 and and the the specific financial of a lot of these cloud-based companies, there's a really long tail. And it makes sense. Like small company, store all your data in one place. If you're a large company, like a big bank or a big healthcare institution or a big federal agency, you just by growth and sheer volume and size have a lot of different data sources. And this is not new. It's been going on for a while. There's been a lot of companies who have come along with one piece of the pie, like data virtualization, where like companies like Composite or Dremio uh, or Denodo uh, on the uh, OLAP side, um, these companies have said, hey, we will virtualize all of your data, but it gets really tricky at scale because the enemy of the data warehouse is IO, right? Moving any data and kind of taking a, a query and pulling a lot of information, joining that information across different data sources, some on cloud on-premise, it gets really expensive and it gets really slow. That promise has been told and sold by many sellers for many years to large, a lot of banks and a lot of big companies that are trying to deal with it. So I think the the problem has been known and is a real acute problem, but I just think a lot of customers have been burned from the past and the... Uh, the selling part of the concept is not hard, Al. It's being able to show them how by doing governance, by doing virtualization, by being really smart about how we do data management and embedding AI, all of the components, once people see the difference and how it's not just attacking it from one part, but really looking at the entire holistic thing and having the credibility of being IBM and working with some of the largest companies in the world, I think that light bulb moment happens for a lot of our customers and they say, you know what, we're all in on this. And, you know, these are big, big projects with a lot of great companies, household name companies and telco and financial services and companies in the U.S. and in EMEA and and APAC in Japan. Like, you know, we're, we're really once people get it, it's not a hard sell. I'd imagine that's a gift that keeps on giving. Uh, I like it. Uh, So I can tell you the value proposition excites you. You know, you can tell it just in your the way you describe it, your passion around it. What would you see as your biggest challenge right now? The biggest challenge is getting started and quite frankly, like figuring out where to start. Some of these things, like as I describe it, are, are big. And sometimes big means scary and it means complexity. Uh, what we're doing is we're breaking it up into parts and we're doing a better job, what I would call the term, taking the first bite of the apple, right? Sometimes... The hardest thing to do in any journey is taking that first step and knowing really where to start. That is something that I think we're working on and we're making a lot of progress. Like I'll give you a good example. In 2022, just like at the end of 2021, a lot of of customers, users don't want to talk to human beings. They just want to digitally explore our products. They want to do a trial. They want to get their hands on it without being sold to or kind of having to go through a, a massive PowerPoint presentation. (laughs) There's a lot of work we're doing around 
digitizing our trial experience, more things like WalkMean, like uh, self-guided exploration so that people get their hands on it. And once they get their hands on it, then they could experience it. Then they can realize that the proof is in the pudding and, you know, that's really expanding. So I, I would say the you know, that, that's been an area that um, we've had to invest is to make it smaller, easier to digest and uh, get people comfortable with one specific business problem and then start expanding from there. I do want to pivot to some questions I have in sales. Is there anything on the technology that I've not asked that you'd like to make a comment on or something? I believe so strongly in what we're doing. Daniel Hernandez is the general manager of the data and AI business, and he made a really smart decision to really shift on quality and really ensure that the customers that are going on the journey with us are having a good experience or getting the realization of the four value drivers that you talked about in the beginning. I feel really strongly that regardless of where people are entering in the AI ladder, data fabric, customer care, we are all about this year making our customer the rock star. And what I would just say for anyone who's listening, either it's a, a seller, an ecosystem, a potential customer, a current customer, there's no better time to be with IBM, specifically data and AI than right now. And our products are what really at the end, it's the, the products and the value of what we're leaving behind and how people are driving their business. This is the, the dawn of an amazing run ahead of us. Uh, and I'm really excited about what we have. So there's too much to talk about, Al, but you know, I, I just, uh, I would invite anybody who's got questions to reach out to me, to their seller, their, you know, the website and start taking another look. Hey, Ayo, I love having you on, man. I, I really appreciate the time. You are uh, such a master of what you do. I'm sure this new role is going to bring new challenges. It's going to energize you. Um, but I, I'm really grateful for having the chance to both of you. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Consider you a friend, coach, mentor, all those. So thank you so much. Thank you for being on. Uh, again, two-parter. Look, folks, thank you for listening. As I said to begin, please rate us, but also you know let us know how we're doing. AlMartinTalksData at gmail.com. Until next time, I'll see you on the podcast. See you all. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcasts to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out. Oh.